episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? Doing very well, Jody. How about yourself? I'm feeling like Wolfman Jack at the moment. Why is that? I have no fucking clue. Okay, well, there you go. Welcome to Jody's head, everybody. That's right. What are we talking about today? Today, we are going to divulge a few pieces of wisdom about making mistakes and how to avoid them when you're mastering. That's kind Uh-oh. of just behind this. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Is it a good idea to master your own stuff? Depends. Are you yeah. on a deadline like last week? <laughs> <laughs> then I guess you have less of a choice, right? Yeah, Unless you delegate, time. but yeah. Well, I guess the, these things don't necessarily just apply for mastering our own stuff, but it could also be if you're mastering other people, of course. Right. Or other artists. Yeah. What's the first thing? I as think odd as this sounds, what's the first thing? The first thing I think is not to be too afraid of making mistakes. Now Ooh. that sounds odd. Making mistakes is kind of like how we get better. Yep. Now, this is something I would probably be a little bit more encouraging of if you're mastering your own stuff. Mm-hmm. If you're mastering somebody else's stuff, yeah, then you probably should be scared of making a mistake. <laughs> but Unless, they, I mean, if they're paying you big bucks, yeah, sure. Well, sure. I mean, anytime. It's, if you're mastering something for a friend and they're like, hey, I want you to get better at this. Can you master my tracks, please? Yep. Then then it's it's one thing. That, that can be a big thing because the whole thing with mastering is it can feel very intimidating. It can. Right? I don't do a whole lot of it unless I have to. Mm-hmm. Because I like to leave that to somebody else, somebody who has like Ruben. an outside ear. Yeah. But, <laughs> but what about you? What do you I think? would concur with the idea of don't be afraid to make mistakes. I would spend more time doing those mistakey learning type bits on my own time. Sure. Meaning that I would take tracks that are already mixed, that you're working on the master. And if you're doing it for friends, say, or other friends, or somebody's paying you, once you deliver, or you're spending time trying to get it right as you're learning to do this, I would spend multiple hours going over various techniques in the concept of mastering to learn what does and doesn't work with whatever it is that I'm doing when it comes to mastering. Yeah. So I would, again, say, don't be afraid of mistakes. I would agree with that. Yeah. One thing that I'm going to jump ahead a little bit in our notes here, but I think this one is really important as well, Mm -hmm. trying to do too much. We think that, okay, now I'm just going to completely put my stamp on this master and I'm going to re-sculpt everything. Mm -hmm. I think that is a mistake that is easy to fall into or a trap that's really to fall into. It's like, okay, I'm going to boost a whole lot of here. I'm going to cut this. I'm going to squash the levels to crap right but it's going to be loud man so <laughs> in other words you throw on the kitchen sink at whatever mix it is that you're talking about yeah and i think that's probably way more common especially of course with people that are just starting out to master their mm-hmm. own stuff and they think that we need to have a drastic change in this my mindset is a little bit different where it's you're just putting minor touches on it to hopefully make something better and translate better, and, as well as getting a coherent level between tracks, that type of thing. Sure. If you're doing uh, multiple tracks at once, yeah. Right. On the flip side of that as well, it can sound like I'm talking about both sides of my mouth here, but is also afraid to make some 
relatively drastic changes if they need it. Sure. Right. If you're given a mix and you can't return the mix and go, no, you got an issue here. You get a better result if you fix this. There's yep. too much low end or whatever. Well, that falls in line with communication and yeah. collaboration with either other producers, other mastering engineers, other artists, or the artists that you're working with, or the mixing engineer that you're working with, that kind of thing. You got to have good communication. Yeah. And, and that besides falls in the, line with that. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, this is something, again, where mastering rooms are great mastering rooms is because where you're listening, mm-hmm. right? The environment where you're doing the mastering, you need to have as good a sounding room as possible or it just won't translate because if you can't trust your environment, you can't fix what you can't hear. Right? right. Another way of saying that is calibrate your workstation specifically for mastering if you're going to become a mastering engineer. Yeah, it if has to be gonna... super accurate. And this is yeah. highly dependent upon the room that you're in, the speakers, where they're located, all that kind of stuff comes into play. It's a really big deal, as you say, to have something accurate that you're hearing so that you're not missing stuff going on in whatever mix it is that you're trying to master. And even if we're not necessarily setting up to be a whole mastering suite, there are things that we can do to our environment that we've talked about in the past. But the idea is to make it as accurately as possible mm-hmm. if you're going to do this. If you're going to try to compete with Ruben Cohen or somebody, you better <laughs> have your shit together, you know, and yeah. you're probably not going to do it in your bedroom, right? Yep. But to just make things sound cohesive and good, we need to have monitoring that we can trust and that we hear things that are actually going on so that we can make that. So calibrate your environment is something that we definitely want to make sure that we do as best as possible, even if that's like sound ID or whatever we have to do with all the treatment. Well, sound ID is a great thing, but that doesn't necessarily fix a crap room. No, it it just makes it better. Yes, it does make it better. It does help, but you still need to make sure your room has good acoustics to a sense and isn't way off the mark. Because if it's way off the mark, you're in trouble. Yeah, been there. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> What's yeah, another so, thing we can look at that is well, a mistake to avoid when mastering? Get too hung up on gear, I think. Mm-hmm. And this, this for me extends not just to mastering, but to creating and everything as well. This Mixing, is so, recording. Yeah, playing. whatever it is, I think is it's a healthy attitude to really know the gear that you have. Sounds a little bit like episode one of a beautiful podcast. Yeah. And also you're kind of referencing GDS. <laughs> yeah. Gear derangement syndrome. Right. There are tools that we should have, but don't feel like you have to have every single unit just to make sure that you can do this. I think it's your skill level that's more important. Your environment, what you're hearing and what you're doing to it is way more important than the actual gear that you're using. Because so much gear that we get with any DAW today mm-hmm. is good. It's really, really good. Mm-hmm. You know, It's the usage and how we make use of the gear that is way more important than just Oh, I could only master if I have this Shadow Hills mastering compressor. Yeah, and not the software. We need the hardware unit and (laughs) all of this, right? I need a Fairchild. That's the only way I'm going to get this master to sound right. 
It's Ringo Hat, man. The Beatles. <laughs> yes. As we've said before, we'll say it again. It's not the quantity of stuff you have. It's the quality of how you use it. Right. And knowing what the gear that you have can deliver mm -hmm. so that you could then supplement your gear if there is a need to do that. That's something like the, Ruben mentioned it as well. They have a couple of different EQs that they employ for different tasks right? when they're trying to do certain things and it's purpose-built stuff we can't anticipate every situation when we're sitting down and doing this so use the gear that you have and don't think that oh it'd be so much better if i had every flavor of the rainbow at my disposal speaking so. of having every flavor of the rainbow let's take a yeah. word from our sponsors and we're back the next thing that we need to think about as avoiding for mastering mistakes, what would it be? This one's going to sound really obvious. It's trying to master without really listening to other music, what's appropriate in that style, or listening to music in general and actually just knowing what it is that we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. During the mixing stage, you might refer to this as like reference tracks. To me, it's having references when you're mastering as well. It's like, this is kind of the level that I'm shooting for. And I'm not saying level as in loudness, although that could be a part of it, but quality-wise, mm -hmm. are we? what are we going for here? What kind of music are we producing? What kind of style is this track? What's appropriate for that? Mm -hmm. Knowing what it takes and listening to different types of music in that way where it, we have a good idea where we want to end up. I'm going to take it one step further to what you just said. Do it. I think it's a bad idea to just throw your standard mastering chain, whatever it might be, onto a mix without actually listening to just the mix. Oh, my goodness. You just blew my mind, man. You <laughs> changed my world. <laughs> it's a good idea to actually listen to the song and think about what does it actually need? What am I doing here with this particular mix? Yeah, I think that falls into the the gear question there as well. It does. You know, a little where bit, it's like you, some people will just take a track and say, I'm mastering it. And this is how I envision things like the automated mastering things that you buy on the internet that like, oh, we'll master your song for five bucks and they throw it through whatever AI and then they don't actually listen to the track. I think we've mentioned before, some guy took, is it Louder? Is that the name of the company? That Let's not mention any company names, but yeah. I, I think it starts with L. It starts with L. <laughs> and you throw in a track and all of a sudden you get your master back. You can throw in the mastered track. They'll master it again regardless. That's not listening to anything. That's a terrible way to think about mastering. You need to listen to the mix. Think, what is going on here? What do I add to this to make this shine the way it needs to? And yeah. a lot of guys will just immediately throw stuff down without actually listening to the music. Listen right. And I music. think that, yeah. And I think what I wanted to tie in there with a gear question there as well, mm -hmm. it could be just a case where, oh, I know I, I always read that I need to have an L1 on my mix. Okay. Why? What are you doing with it? Right. Or I'm supposed to use this EQ, whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. Well, does this track actually need additional EQing? 
using a piece of gear for its intended use when it's called upon and not just think, okay, here's my mastering chain, preset one rock master, whatever, <laughs> right? right? And it usually, usually, at least in my experience, is always way too much processing right. than you might need. So, yeah, important thing to listening to the music and see what do I actually need to do to this to get it to where I need it to be and how far off is it already? Well, and part of what you were just touching on there is sounds a little bit like someone might be reading too many blogs, watching too many YouTube videos, or going on too many web forums trying to get information about how should I master and thinking more about these nuggets of advice that all those places, including our podcast, dole out and thinking, this is the only way. Well, it's all part of a tool chest that you're building to gain that experience for mastering. Do you need to have the Shadow Hills master compressor? Or do you need the variable MU? Or do you need a particular Neve EQ? Or whatever it is. Maybe, maybe not. That goes back to listening to that music and determining what is right for that song. Couldn't have put it better myself, Jody. Well, no, it, it's go. true. And I think it's really easy to fall into that. And I'm branching out here a little bit, but I mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, I think. When we're all starting out, we're, we're searching for information and we're hungry to learn, hopefully. But it also is that every piece of advice that you get is not applicable in every situation. True that. So, same obviously goes with mastering. It's every track is unique and sort there are certain umbrella techniques that people tend to use all the time. Mm -hmm. But people that are successful with this kind of stuff is they know how to listen for what is called for that song. Right. And that and, comes from getting the experience, spending time not being afraid of making mistakes by remastering things you've already tried to master, so to speak. Yes. Absolutely. That's how we learn. That's how we learn how to mix. That's how we learn how to play an instrument. It's how we learn to write. That's how we learn everything. So mastering is no different than that. And if you think along the terms of Malcolm Gladwell, it's 10,000 hours. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Going to go off on a tangent here. This go. is going to be one of the, the nonsense parts of the, the podcast. I remember hearing an interview with uh, the drummer from Pink Floyd. Mm-mm. And he brought up those 10,000 hours. Did he? Yeah. And he said, well, by the time we recorded Arna Lane, we probably were like 50 hours into our journey. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. It's pretty telling. You know, yes. so, yeah, it's fine. But uh, yeah. Now, here's another mistake that has been under the skin and ire of a lot of people for a long time. Not necessarily those who are consumers, but definitely for those inside the recording industry portion of things. And that is going strictly for making it too damn loud yeah. at the expense of the music in and of itself. Yep. There are certainly a lot of examples on that that we could bring up. But I would say this probably peaked... Mid 2000s, maybe like 2000s. Oh, it's probably still like going on now. I was recently reading online uh -huh. and in forums, so to speak, <laughs> <laughs> about a particular genre 
where somebody that was supposed to master a particular piece of music, the mix that he got was already at minus seven LUFS. That was That's when he received brutally loud. Yeah, <laughs> already. I mean, you don't really get a chance to master beyond that. It's insanity. Generally, well, if speaking, you want to get rid well, of any kind of sense of dynamics in the track, yeah, sure, <laughs> just yeah. get rid of it completely. Yeah. yeah, the average of a really loud CD was what minus nine, if that might have been minus yeah, ten. Something. Yeah, and now I you've got the right streaming 10, services. Yeah. yeah, the streaming services are now like minus fourteen, minus sixteen. Some might even be minus eighteen. So they're working on getting those dynamics back. Yeah. With how they do things. Now, can you turn in a track really loud? Could you turn in a track that's like minus seven, minus five? Sure. But on the streaming services, they're going to reduce it back down to whatever it is they do. And doing that will cause your mix to sound super flat. Yeah. Maybe, super flat. I know we've addressed this in the past, but maybe we should go into that a little bit deeper. So why is that? If you have that super loud mix that you're submitting for the streaming services. Mm -hmm. It's not like they're necessarily gonna change your mix, but all that loudness that you've gained by just turning it on like that, mm -hmm. or just cranking the snot out of it, of the dynamics to get that loud, they're just gonna take that peak level and turn it down. Yep. So all that crunch that you've now gotten to get that sound, unless it sounds like really exciting to you, but know that you're losing dynamics in the track. Massively. Massively. It's going to sound, it's not louder than anything else now because when you're streaming, it's going to be at the same loudness level as anything else, but now you don't have any dynamics left. Yep. Here's another big mistake to avoid when you're learning to master. Not taking the master of the audio and going and listening in different environments. It's just like when you're learning to mix. If you're learning to master, you got to go listen to this master on multiple sources if you're doing it in your sort Bedroom. of like project studio <laughs> yes absolutely but i mean the only reason i say that is because if you're like lurson mastering or something they know that sound they know it's going to translate they're not going to go out in the car and check well, they, it out they've been you know? doing it for decades so to speak right but, they, but i want to make sure that they're that, listening to of course but i'm saying that i just wanted to point out that distinction like for for mastering houses that's what they do they have the experience they don't have to do that but for somebody that's just learning how to master yeah you better make sure that it translates and again that comes down to calibrating your space, mm -hmm. right? You, so that you know that it will translate. That's what it's it's all about, right? How many of us have had that experience where, oh, it sounds really great in my room, mixing or mastering otherwise, and then you take it somewhere else. Like, what, what happened? What just happened? <laughs> oh, my God. This yeah. is something that happened to me, and it was Oddly enough, weird. it's never happened to me. I've oh, always well, been great. Well yeah. done, you. <laughs> However, yeah, that's what a lie sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> I took a master, not the one that I did. I was listening to a version of one of my songs that was mastered by a mastering house. And I was listening to it at the house of the bass player in his studio. And in playback, oh my, my, the bass sounded so off. It was ridiculous. And I went back to the mastering house and said, I think there's a problem with this. And they were like, really? I said, yeah, 
all right, well, give us your notes and we'll do it again. That is unheard of. But what they were doing in doing that was giving me priority as a client. They were managing my expectation, even though my expectation was being tainted by being in an environment that was not conducive to listening to the song appropriately. And the main so reason the, being it, is as a bass player, he's pumping the bass more than necessary. So, so it was the room where you were listening that caused it to sound weird. Yeah, it was not yeah. on their end. Yeah, It was not on their end. It was the way the room was set up that was set up rather not right. And that's definitely something that as a mastering person, or even a mixing person for that matter, you have to understand how to prioritize your clients and the projects that you're working on, which is something that this particular mastering house did very well when I suddenly freaked out and was like, wait a minute, why on this one note is it suddenly kicking out in this room and making the whole house feel like it's shaking? Well, it's because the bass player <laughs> set up that studio rather inconsistently and it made my song sound off. Fortunately, I listened to it in a few other places and realized my mistake, but they were happy to do it again and they did. And it didn't sound as good when they did it again. So I stuck with the first version and just chalked it up to, this was a bad place to monitor this song. <laughs> <laughs> I think if we're talking about prioritizing clients and this and that, that's probably a problem that when you're growing more mm -hmm. as a mastering engineer, if you're just mastering the odd project here and there for your own stuff, then you're still in the learning phase and you might not have to deal with too many clients. However, I would say though, even if you're at that level, you're just starting out and you're taking on projects to not only practice your mastering skills, but also deliver service for mm -hmm. people. I think managing expectations there as well is important. So that is kind of part of that client management thing. It's a big deal. Uh, yeah. If you get a, let's say, average or subpar mix from somebody, it's not going to sound possibly like they're heroes when you get it back. It's like, no, that's the whole journey. I'm just putting the sort of cosmetics on here, mm -hmm. right? So if you're expecting your album to sound like a Rammstein release, you can't hand in a Venom record. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not how that works. Why can't you fix that in mastering? No, no, I can't. So I think it helps to obviously have that communication where you say, well, what are our goals here? And you as a mastering engineer can express to them, like, this is what we can do with this, right? Mm -hmm. We can make it better, but you're not there to sculpt. I'm reminded now of the saying, uh, and I, I can't credit it. It sounds like an Al Schmidt thing, but it, it isn't. Record like there's no mixing and mix like there's no mastering. I like and, it. And keeping that in mind, I think it can give us more appropriate expectations of what we can get out when we hand out a, a track to get mastered or we relaying that information to a client if we're doing the mastering. All right. And then also if it's really bad, if you have to do it to yourself. Right. <laughs> 
There you go. So a- anything else that you would like to add to the mistakes? That's it's a fair bunch of, of things to kind of think about. But no, I think we covered yeah. it pretty well. And in speaking in terms of like expectations, we're going to move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got today? Woohoo! I discovered something that I thought was kind of interesting. If somebody is handy with a soldering gun mm-hmm. and they are really into hardware, there is a site called DIY Recording Equipment. If you just have that, DIYRecordingEquipment.com, you'll arrive there. And that's the site that sells these kits for you to put together yourself that are anywhere from just like DI boxes up until rack units and even like 500 cases where you can build the little components to that, like preamps and stuff. Yeah. I thought that was really, really cool. So if somebody is really into the hardware thing and you're presumably pretty good with a soldering gun, you could get yourself some hardware and it's not going to be breaking the bank. From what I saw, like some of these units are going from everything was under a thousand that I saw. And so most of the things were even like sub 500 when it comes to the 500 units. So I thought that was really, really cool. DIYRecordingEquipment.com. What do you got? I'm going with, as of the time of this recording, Pro Tools, not Pro Tool, Pro Tools has released a new DAW that is free. And this is an upgrade from like Pro Tools first, I, I guess. No they have- it's just they've got a new version that's free. That's what it says. It's, it's All right. free. And on top of that, Pro Tools is also jumping on the ARA bandwagon. So if you want to do real-time melodining using ARA, Pro Tools now has ARA2 inside it, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah, my very cool. find right there. All right. Very cool. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any episodes of the podcast in the future. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the word mastering, and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'll talk to you later, Jody. Bye.